talking about the site plan. In terms of the site plan, we're talking about your precepts. I undertake to train myself to refrain from fill in the blank. That kind of gets your house in order. It's kind of orientates your house. Your motivation, of course, is very important, which is compassion. And your aspiration is very important. What exactly is it you're after in this lifetime? And your life will reflect your aspiration. Make no bones about it. If your aspiration is to be a better lawyer, you will become a better lawyer. You may never become the greatest lawyer, but you will become a better lawyer. So if your aspiration is uh, security and comfort and stability and all that stuff, you'll get it. Because unlike the song, you do always get what you want. And you try real hard. (laughs) So you try real hard to get what you want. And pretty much my experience being is if you really want it, you really get it. Now, the issue for most people is that they have divided desires. So if you want more money and time off, you might be in somewhat of a conflicted position uh, because, of course, the general tendency is you work for money and time off means you're working, not working. So, But by and large, if you want something bad enough, you get it. Have you found that to be true? Pretty much. Uh, and if you really want it, you're usually quiet about it. You know the things that you want that you're really noisy about? No, you don't really care about those things. They're just trying to distract you from your distraction. The more important it is to you, curiously enough, the quieter you are about it. Have you ever noticed? And the things you're noisy about are kind of, it's mostly positioning, you know, lo- you know, getting yourself in position for the slave. So your aspiration is, is fundamental, and you should set your aspiration every morning. When you get up in the morning, this day is dedicated to the development of patience. This day is dedicated to the development of uh, compassion. This day is dedicated to trying to be clear and precise and accurate. This day is dedicated to being one with nature. And you can, you can, you can work that way. In other words, when you get up in the morning, you set your aspiration, and you immediately see the palace of unfolding around you, right? the crystal palace around you. So we're talking about the site plan in terms of your precepts. So to set your site plan for your day, the precepts have to be in order. Right? And then you get your building blocks, the paramis, and the states of good meditation, what's, what the qualities of good meditation, and the qualities of a not-so-good meditation, and the hindrances, right, and uh, so on. So with these principles in place, you're ready to build your palace. But your palace starts with your aspiration and your motivation. So if your motivation is for awakening and your aspiration is to dwell in the palace that you're building. You've got your precepts in place. They kind of orientate you the five directions. You know the hindrances that are going to come at you during the day, your impatience, your your lack of generosity, your poor concentration, or your uh, lack of uh, ethics in a situation. And you know that if your aspiration is not set, uh, you won't have a guiding principle in which to make your decisions during the day. In other words, nature abhors a vacuum. Do you understand that abhor? Abhor means hate. Nature abhors a vacuum. And so if you don't put something else in, it's going to default to the standard program. It's going to revert to the, the general conditioning. So if your standard conditioning is Bible Belt Christianity, or if your standard condition is kind of dull mind, or if your general conditioning is sharp-edged, aggressive, 
Anyway, uh, it will defer, it will revert to what you already got going. Where we talked about the bowl going upstream. In order for you to move your consciousness to clear more awake, more radiant state of consciousness, you won't happen by itself. Well, okay, to a certain point it will, because life comes along and delivers you curves, but it's a very slow process. Uh, wisdom is very slowly gleaned from years of failures, <laughs> years of years of many mistakes. Lots of good times too, but in the end, the good times when you're on your deathbed or when you're 80 and you're in the old folks' home, the good times won't carry you. What will carry you is the state you're in at the time that you're sitting there. And so, if you happen to be bedridden and you've lost your sight, lost your hearing, the, the, the required uh, condition for a good state is that it's not dependent upon your sight and your hearing. <coughs> dependent on golfing or uh, seeing the grandkids, you know, you're going to probably end up bitter and a little frustrated. So, uh, you set the motivation, you set the aspiration, and you go out with these things of you and you try to establish a good state and so on. Well, that's all well and good, but the point is is that when you're in a good state, you, your, your mistake is you don't guard it. You guard your bad states more than you guard your good states. Not in terms of your idea, but in terms of your actual action. You know, you're in a good state you're, and everything's wonderful. You make no effort to protect it. You think it's going to last forever. Ever. And it lasts a relatively short amount of time. And yet your bad states, which are triggered simply because you've, you've lost your palace that you built, uh, seem to go on forever. And the reason they seem to go on forever is because that those bad states are conditioned into the downstream karmic path, and the good states are developed and protected and worked by working that bowl upstream into the uh, more radiant fields of consciousness. The next thing that we have to look at then is, well, what is it that makes this error? Or what is it that blinds you to making, a, relatively speaking, a wrong decision? If you could keep count on it, time-wise, you'd find that most of your states are neutral. Another, uh, I don't know, 30% are actually good, and like 10 or 20% are bad. And the reason those 10 or 20 percent seem bad is because you're making a fundamental mistake. And the fundamental mistake is, of course, you're taking it all personally. The thing that you have to come to for spiritual development, it's not personal. Even when it's personal, it's not personal. And if you take it personally, then what you're doing is you're feeding that experience back into your conditioned responses and conditioned behavior and conditioned concepts or ideas about who you are. What is this thing that you call you? So we go looking for it. And from our point of view of our meditation, what are we doing? Vajrasattva, for instance, we're doing the mantra, we're doing the visualization. But you very quickly, well, Vajrasattva is a little slower, but if you're doing something like Tara or Chenrezi, Right, or you're doing the breathing meditation or the scanning meditation, you'll find that it's very easy for the mind to pretend it's meditating while it's off picking flowers in Tanzania. So, although the meditation is aimed at keeping you present to witness the arisings as they occur, if you can do that, you're succeeding in your meditation. As long as the meditation is foreground and then the Tanzanian flowers 
our background, you're not doing too bad. But what happens is that the, the nature of the you identifies with the picking of flowers in Tanzania because that arose supposedly spontaneously. And what's spontaneous must be true to me. So if I get angry, spontaneous combustion, I must be correct about being angry because I didn't do anything to get angry. It just happened to me, and therefore I'm angry. I deserve to be angry because I didn't do anything. Obviously, it must be their fault that I'm angry because I was fine until they did that thing. And now I'm angry. I'm spontaneously angry. I am justifiably angry because they obviously did something wrong, right? And you can substitute anger, you can substitute in greed, or you can substitute in delusion, or you can just substitute in clinging or aversion in general. But the basic principle is, is I think, therefore I am, Descartes. When in fact, the mantra should be somewhat reversed, and you should say, I am, therefore I think. But thoughts are last. In terms of the development of the baby, the child, thoughts come last. What comes first? Body. Senses, body, senses, body, 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 senses. Then, feelings associated with whether or not the body experience is pleasurable or unpleasurable. And then comes thinking, and thinking is the strategies by which you protect the body and the feelings from the bad ones and seek out the good ones. So, changing your thoughts doesn't really change your identity much. So, I change my ideas that change who I am. I mean, it changes who I am in terms of my interaction with the world, but it changes the essence of who I think I am. It doesn't make any difference. I'm heterosexual, homosexual, conservative, Republican, Canadian-American. Fundamentally, doesn't make any difference in terms of how you see yourself as a being. You identify with it. Oh, I am a, you know, I'm a pro this and pro this and pro this, and I'm anti this and anti this and anti this. But if you were to change. If you were to be convinced that you should go the other way and then be pro that and anti this, you would still think you're the same person, right? Is that fair enough? Or at least the same person was having the thoughts that changed, <laughs> which is to the point. So in fact, you're not your thoughts. Doesn't make sense, right? You can't be your thoughts if you change your thoughts and you still feel the same. You're kind of the same person in core. So if you're not your thoughts, what are you? Well, you're there, you know. You identify mostly with your thinking, don't you? I mean, largely as a Western person, you know, you know what you do, where you're going to go, what you think about this, what you think about that. You know, a large part of your identity comes from your thinking, and it turns out your thinking isn't who you are. Well, that kind of shoots a hole in your whole problem with your day, doesn't it? So then maybe you're in your feelings. I have feelings. Therefore, I'm really my feelings. But your feelings are like mercury. Up and down, and I love him and I hate him, and I, I'm going to marry him and I'm going to shoot him. <laughs> I, I want one and I don't want one. I want one and I don't want one. I want a new one. I, I want my old one. I don't want any. None. No. No. Nobody. Nobody. Today you're a hero, tomorrow you're a bum. You ever get this feeling? Today you're a bum, tomorrow you're a hero. The feelings change, they're mercurial. You can be having a perfectly wonderful day. Hmm? Somebody comes along, cuts you off on the highway or something. Boom. You're up, right? 
So if you're your feelings, how could your feelings ever change? If your feelings change from moment to moment, I guess you must be changing from moment to moment. And if you're changing from moment to moment, it doesn't make sense to call you a you. All you're really saying is, I am a feeling. But you're not always having feelings, are you? I mean, sometimes you're having thoughts. So that, does that mean when you're having a thought, you're not you because you're not having a feeling? Or if you're having a feeling and you're not having a thought, then you're not you because you're not having a thought? And we can extend this into the body in a minute. You'll, you'll see that, that the only way you can think you're you is to keep everything general enough to not look at. You have to keep everything spread out, feelings, thoughts, sensations, in such a way that none of them are actually registered in any degree of depth in order to find out you're not that. I mean, I don't want to be too gross, but you are your body, right? All right, so we'll cut off your arms, all right? Are you still you? Cut off your legs, are you still you? All right, and you have no arms, no legs. You're still you, physically, and this is my body, and what a mess it is, but there you go. Oh, got it, change your heart. Heart transplant. Whoop, liver transplant. Whoop, kidney transplant. What do we got left? Lungs and head. Eyeballs. Eye, eye, oh, eye transplant. Boom. Do, do they do teeth? New mouth. So basically, your body is this brain. Okay. If you touch your finger to your knee, the sensation is registered in your brain half a second before your thought is, I've touched my knee. Half a second before your brain says, I've touched my knee, the sensation has already gone to the brain. You're a half second back. Your timeline, right? So even your brain is half a second faster than your sense of acknowledgement of what your brain is doing. So where's the me? Is the me in the sensation before your brain even knows it's had a sensation? Or is your me start a half second after you had to experience everything? You've got real problems there. And the next thing about it, of course, is that one day they're going to do a brain transplant. And this is going to probably awaken more people. Right? This is probably going to awaken more people on a single day than has ever happened in the history of civilization because when they do the brain transplant, the guy is going to still think he who he is regardless of the brain he gets. It's not going to change him in a sense of who he is at all, nor his memories. And I'll bet you I'll put money on it right now because consciousness does not reside in the brain. Brain accesses consciousness. So think about that one. Fundamentally, you are going to experience who you are regardless of whether or not your body is changed at any level, including the brain. You don't believe me, do you? Wait and see. Yes? It seems with heart transplants that people do get uh, personality changes. Mm. Oh, personality changes, yes. Absolutely. You move a person from Canada to live in Japan for 10 years. But remember, the word persona means mask. Personality is a mask. You know, the smiley mask and the sad mask. Personality changes definitely. That's those, that happens your whole life. But the sense of that which has a personality, which is what you really think yourself to be, doesn't change. From the day you're born until the day you die, you pretty much think you're the same something, even though your personality has gone through huge shifts over the time. There's still that sort of core sense of who you are. However, within the context of the frame of reference, a state is just a state, and this is where you get trapped. 
when you have a state arising, whether it's an emotional state, a physical state, or a mental state, you identify you as the state that's arising. There is no self, inherent self. Uh, I'm not saying there's no experience. I'm not saying there's no personality. But there is no core self to be found. And thus, you are not liable to suffering. You're not subject to the suffering. Because the suffering arises from the identification with the state. Either the clinging to it, if you like it, or the pushing it off, if you don't like it. I mean, my, my sister, who's ten years older than me, she was left to babysit me, and she, her job was to give me my egg, or my hard-boiled egg. She was ten, and I was like one, or something. And <laughs> Twelve and two. So... Uh, she, her job was to feed me this egg, and, and I tasted, I spit it out because the egg was bad. I remember the egg was rotten, and and she, her job was to feed me that egg, and my job was to no freaking way am I eating that egg, and the war was on. <laughs> In the end, it probably came out 50-50. She kind of got half the egg down, and I got half the egg out, but I couldn't eat hard-boiled eggs until I was 20. I, I would just, I would get any near one and I'd just start to kind of gag. I was cured at 20. How was I cured? I was traveling in Kashmir and Nepal, and we're up in the mountains, and there's nothing to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and no matter how many times I asked them to make a soft boiled egg, they made a hard boiled egg. And all of a sudden, I got to work. Necessity. This is one of the this is one of the great lessons in discipline. Is you go at it and 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 you go at it until you learn what it is you need to learn. Now, if you go at it negatively, it's going to take a long time. If you go at it trying to hang on to it, like you know, money, 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 if you go at it, it's going to take a long time. But if you go at it simply from the what is the nature of the mandala? What is the nature of this of this story? What is this about? What is this thing about money we're on? What is this thing about sex work? What is this thing about fill in the blank? Right? And you go, wow, this is a really interesting story. My identity is built on how I respond to the stimuli, negative or positive. And if I don't respond that way, I don't know who I am. Which is why you have fixed responses to events, because it tells you who you are. And without those fixed responses, you don't know who you are. And that is extremely scary to the ego structure because it feels like regression. Bad news is, it is. It is regression. <laughs> the good news is, is mommy and daddy aren't waiting for you there. You're not, you can't get back there. So, the, the key <laughs> the key to the story really is that if you unlock the nature of the conditioning and you unlock the, 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 the what has to come up will come up. And what doesn't come up isn't required to come up. Right? And you don't need to clear everything. If you have to clear everything, you can possibly awaken. You just clear the patterns of things. And you clear the patterns of things by recognizing that it's actually less weight and less suffering to let it go than to fight for your rights. Curiously, the law is, is the more you let it go, the more your rights are actually fulfilled by others for you with no effort. You want to be loved? The minute you let go of wanting to be loved, curiously enough, people seem to love you. 
It's a very strange thing. Because part of them knows that they can't love you when you want to be loved because they're reinforcing an unwholesome pattern. And, the, and that's why it's a compassionate universe. Everybody knows the truth all the time about everything for everybody. In the minute they meet them. The convention is, I'll pretend I'm this kind of person. <laughs> and you pretend you're that kind of person. And so when you can drop that patterning, when you can let go of that patterning, it doesn't change your patterning. It, because it's, you know, you've had it since you were three months old. It's not going to change your patterning. And why should you anyway? So why bother changing it? Is he, I know this one. I know how to act like Doug Duncan. I can just do Doug Duncan without any effort. There's no need to change it. There's nothing wrong with you. You're perfectly fine just the way you are, except insofar as you cling to the emotions and thoughts and the body of being this person and you get into these states of suffering by that either attachment or cling or aversion. There was a hand. For more information, please go to www.clearskycenter.org. That's C-L-E-A-R-S-K-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R.org. Thank you.